So there's this new collection of short stories that are retold fairy tales. Have you heard about this? Oh yeah, it's uh, Far Away, the new Amazon original stories collection, right? Exactly. We've got Rainbow Rowell, Nick Stone, Soman Chanani, Ken Liu, and Gail Foreman all taking these old fairy tales and twisting them and making them their own. I mean, who doesn't love going back to those stories that we all grew up with about evil queens and charmless princesses and star-crossed lovers and finding authors who we love now in 2020 doing their own cool riffs on those classic stories? It's some of my absolute favorite things. I mean, I love when Helen Oyeyemi does it, and I love, you know, when Amy Bender does it. And now I'm really excited about checking out what all of these authors are going to do with these old familiar stories. The collection is available now. You can get it in audiobook, you can get it in ebook. Amazon Prime members can listen and read for free. Just need to get ready, prepare yourself, because these stories, they're going to scare you, they're going to charm you. They're going to move you. They're going to make you feel magic all over again. You can download them at amazon.com slash farawaystories. That's amazon.com slash farawaystories. While you're cleaning up from Thanksgiving, that is when you start like turning on Christmas stuff and getting what a monster. It's not even December yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm very monstrous. <laughs> Um, yes. And that's and that does learn. sound evil. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Uh, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Emily Temple joining us, zooming on into the damn library. Hey, guys. So glad you could join us. Emily Temple holds a BA from Middlebury College and an MFA in fiction from the University of Virginia, where she was a Henry Hoynes Fellow and the recipient of a Henfield Prize. The Lightness, which you are here to talk about, is your first novel. Um, you might have seen her fiction in Colorado Review, Electric Literature's Recommended Reading, Indiana Review, Fairy Tale Review. So many reviews. Yeah, you don't have to do all the reviews. <laughs> and, uh, she was named a finalist for the Calvino Prize by Robert Coover, and she is the managing editor of Lit Hub and lives primarily in a queen-size bed in Brooklyn. So it's, you know, uh, it's good to have you on the show we, we ha uh, as, as fellow Lit Hub compatriots. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's fun. In some, in some ways, it's also like, oh, man, our boss is coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, I hope you treat me like your boss. <laughs> I've never talked to you before. <laughs> I was able to drop off the po the the cocktail. Um, Were you going to say the potion? Well, that's the name of it's called oh. flying potion. That's the name of the cocktail. So the drink is chamomile infused uh, lilit, um, a little bit of aperol, some native floral bitters, prosecco, and a lemon wedge, and um, it's very easy to make. And also infusing lilit. Um, I think Lilith is really delicious, but I think it's too sweet. And I feel like if I'm going to add it into a drink, I want to make it a little bit more complex. And chamomile and native floral bitters, these are things that I was thinking of with the novel. There's so much like vegetation and floralness uh, to the lightness. And 
also Prosecco is just like, it's light, it's frothy. Drinking it all together tastes like flying potion to me. <laughs> nice. It's true. I think it's perfect. I put it in the fanciest flute I have. Oh my gosh. Wow. I found, this is a, a Vera Wang flute that I got as a wedding gift that I have never used before. Don't tell whoever got it for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A fancy glass is never wrong. <laughs> that's so true. So that's the drink. Okay, so now, what do we do next, Drew? I forget. The other part of the show that we can do from our homes, uh, the buying of things. I feel like I'm trying not to buy anything right now because it's Christmas and it's that thing of like, I really want this book and I've told several people in my life who might buy me a book for Christmas that I want this book. But like, ah, but I also want it right now <laughs> in the bookstore. Like, Ugh! Yeah, you have to be careful. You have to buy things that no one would buy you. <laughs> yeah, I never expect anyone to buy me books because everyone knows that I get so many books for free. <laughs> uh, that it's, my, my mom once told me it would be ridiculous to buy me a book. <laughs> <laughs> What did you, what did you buy, Drew? Technically, I didn't buy either of these things. They're both being sent to us. Uh, one of them is a novel I'm very excited for next year. Karen Tidbeck's new book, The Memory Theater. I loved her first short story collection in English, um, Yaganath, that I had read a couple of those stories when Jeff Vandermeer uh, and his wife, Anne, published them through his imprint, Cheeky Frog Books. And then recently, uh, Vintage, I think it was Vintage or Anchor, somebody picked up that book, her novel, Amatka. And then this is her first like new novel since her stuff started being translated and published in English. Uh, and I know nothing about it. It's got theater in the title, which sounds great to me. Um, so I'm stoked for that. And then the other thing is uh, the editor of a new reading magazine called O Reader reached out to us uh, to let us know that the magazine was coming to an, into existence and we're getting the first issue in the mail soon. Um, and I love it, the, the pitch of the magazine is that instead of talking to authors and like really diving into writing, it's more interviews with and things about reading, like for readers, which feels like a cool twist. I'm excited to see what it looks like. Yeah, that's awesome. Emily, that's how about cool. you? I just, so my husband and I just finished watching Justified very yeah. late in the day, um, but we just finished. And so I have ordered and I have to go pick it up at Greenlight, Elmore Leonard's When the Women Came Out to Dance so that I can, or come out to dance, came out to dance. It's an Elmore Leonard collection that has the story that inspired Justified in it. Cool. And I mean... I'm just so impressed that one short story spawned this multi-season epic television show, which I enjoyed very much. And that's, in some ways, I'm like, oh, that's the dream. You get one, <laughs> you just write yeah. one little short story and it can become <laughs> a legend. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to that just to see. Yeah, I've never actually read anything by Elmore Leonard. Um, I don't think so, I yeah, yeah he's either. one of those names you know, but it's like you don't even need to read him. You know, right. you're like, ah, yes, 
Yuma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the other thing I bought, which I buy every year on Black Friday, is I have, it's called the Stendig calendar. It is the only calendar that is part of the Momus collection. And it's this enormous, you know, modernist, minimalist calendar. And I have been buying it on Black Friday for the last 10 years because I love it. (laughs) That's so, somebody just told me about this calendar. Um, I was like, I need a calendar for my office. And I was looking at it and I was like, this is so cool. I need to know somebody who has one of these. And there you go. (laughs) I'm that person. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's like kind of the perfect thing for me. I, I used to make my own calendar almost the same. I mean, obviously not as nice, but I used to get it when I was a teenager, I would get this big sheet of paper and draw out a calendar every month because I loved the idea of having this like big wall size calendar that I could write a lot of stuff in every date instead of those like dinky small calendars that usually all you can do is be like dentist, <laughs> you know, have, have my commentary in there. And then I found this picture of my mom from when she was in her early twenties and she's sitting in front of a calendar that she had made that is the size of a wall. And I was like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So now I don't have time to make one every month, but the Stendig calendar is just as good. You'll love it. Get one. Cool. Okay, great. Awesome. Hermelin, what have you bought? I saw this title. Someone, someone told me, Hey, I, I just read this book to, um, this kid I babysit, and I think you'd love it. Um, and it's it's called the Christmas Saurus. I'm gonna show it to you guys. Oh my god! the The logline on the back makes me really laugh. There's only one thing William Trundle has ever wanted for Christmas: a dinosaur. But never in his wildest dreams did he think that Santa would actually deliver. And honestly, <laughs> neither did Santa. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> The cover is him in his Christmas pajamas riding this ice dinosaur on the snow. It's by Tom Fletcher. I'm very excited. It's all illustrated. Um, and Coming next fall to Disney Plus. <laughs> right? It's like, and I believe it's the start of a series. So I don't know. It's It might be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Who knows? Um, and then I also, we we got sent Annalie Newitz's new nonfiction book. Um, Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. And um, they're looking at four literally like incredible cities that have become abandoned and sort of looking in the history of what we know and why they flourished and then why they fell. Um, And so I'm really, really excited to see what it's all about because I love Lost Cities and I also really love Annalie Newitz's writing. It's so good. So this is, it's fun to see them turn their pen to um, nonfiction because they've done fiction primarily before this. Yeah. So that's, that's mine. Cool. You went one highbrow, one lowbrow. Yes. <laughs> which is which though? Hmm? Right, I don't know, I'm not saying. <laughs> So the book, The Secret History, um, is one of my absolute favorites. And Emily, you recommended it to me. You didn't know you were. But a long time ago, (laughs) 
when you were writing for Flavor Wire, you included it in a list and your description of it and also like everything else in that list, there was a bunch of stuff that I recognized and I was just like, this person seems to know know the good books. And I read it and immediately was just like, this is the most incredible book I've ever read. And so I just wanted to formally say thank you because it's my locked and loaded answer for favorite book. Wow. <laughs> First of all, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> And second of all, I'm I'm so glad. That is really awesome. I that is exactly what I hope for when I continually proselytize about books for the internet. <laughs> Just that one person out there is gonna be like, hmm, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then it's their favorite book. That is really the dream. You did it. And I'm just curious, um, before we go into your novel, just like, you know, you came up, it seems like writing about books. And um were you always planning to write one as well? Or, you know, what was it like to be a writing reader before you were writing reader writer? Uh, hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting question or it's a hard question to answer because I always wrote and I liked writing, but I really started as a reader and I wanted to be an ed a book editor uh, because that's what kids who like reading and that's their only option. <laughs> yep. I wanted to be Michael Peach. You know, I wanted to like edit David Foster Wallace. That was the teenage dream of me. Um, <laughs> and even in, in high school, I got writing awards, but my mom would call me a writer and I would say, don't, don't say it. Don't, no, 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 we, we don't, we don't say it because like writer was for Nabokov and not for me. I thought it was like such a, a lauded job and I thought it was, you had to be a genius. Now that I'm a writer, I know you do not have to be. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really invested in the idea of it and I didn't think that it would be possible. And so, but I just, I love books and I love to, write about books and talk about books. And so I ended up doing that. And I kept on writing my little stories to myself. And eventually I found in my email that I, it was like an email from three years prior where I had been writing to my friend Dina and saying, I really want to go to grad school for writing, but I'm afraid. And then I was like, you know what? I've been saying this for years. Let me just try. <laughs> so then I went to grad school. And I nice. was like, huh, maybe I can do it. And then maybe I could. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, always a reader first. I mean, I think that that shines through while reading The Lightness. And I am wondering if you would tell our listeners what The Lightness is about in your words. I've described it a number of times now, and I still don't think I know how to describe it. In any case, this is what it's about. It's about... Uh, young woman who goes searching for her father at this sort of span or pan spiritual uh, meditation center in the mountains. And she hasn't heard from him in a year and she's looking to see if she can find anything out about him or where he went. And she falls in with this group of girls who are obsessed with the idea of learning to levitate. And then they try to levitate with mixed results. Uh, I think that's a, that's a description. <laughs> yeah. 
I've, I can't think of another book where I've read a narrator quite like Olivia. And I, since reading it, I have continued to try to put my finger on what it is that feels so special about her voice. And I think it's the, the, the oddity of the parenthetical thoughts that comes through. It's like the, the novel's not quite a diary. It's not quite first person address. It's like, it's so many different things. And I would love to know kind of where the voice came from. Yeah, um, the voice, well, I guess I would describe it more as the position of the voice was, a, was something that I thought about a lot early on. And I decided that what I really wanted was to show, to have a voice that shows that she has been obsessing over this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. you know, that she's just been thinking about it and collecting information that is like tangentially, tangentially related, that she has been mulling over like other kinds of stories that she's just been that it's, this has been a constant in her life, even though it was just this one summer and nothing else happened. And it's just like, it's almost like a thorn in her side and she's collected stuff around it. So all of the asides and the, you know, ruminations and things, those always felt to me like more important than the plot really more important than what happened because I was trying to show this frame of mind and what happens to someone when they experience something that they can't explain and then need to try to explain to themselves in a thousand different ways. So that's kind of, so then the voice just came out of that because I was like, who's going to obsess about this to this degree? <laughs> what does she sound like to herself? Turns out she's going to sound like very arch and weird. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that. It is hearing you say that it does it like, that's what it is. It's an inner monologue almost. And I can think of it as somebody who definitely uh, has, and probably will again in the future, like obsess about a single moment from my past and just mm -hmm. like thought about every angle of it. It is that thing of, as I'm thinking about it, and then like the other me inside my head is like, oh, but that was kind of dumb. Or like, oh, <laughs> did you think about, and it, it, I don't know, I've just never seen it on the page before. I really, really, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it while I was reading. When people describe it, they, they the word cult gets thrown around. I didn't think, much it was a cult novel but how do you feel about that moniker being put on the novel it's funny because the two two descriptors that get used a lot are cult and summer camp <laughs> and it's not really e either although i get it <laughs> <laughs> it's based on a the, the place the center is based at least physically on a shambhala meditation center called karma trolling that I used to go to with my family when I was a kid growing up. And we would go every summer and it was like my favorite place in the world. And it was also the secret place that none of my friends at home knew anything about. And my friends at home to this day call it Buddhist camp. Um, even though again, it wasn't, it was that my parents were going and locking themselves in the shrine room to hear lectures from this teacher and the staffers sort of 
invented stuff for the kids to do because there was a lot of kids around the same age. Um, so yeah, so even, so cult, it's not really a cult, it's just American Buddhism, uh, <laughs> which is a religion. <laughs> um, but that said, you know, when we watch, when my husband and I watched Wild Wild Country, the documentary about Osho, I noticed that we had very different reactions to the whole cult. <laughs> uh, he, I was just like, yeah, this seems normal and fine. And I, I get it. And he was like, no, they're crazy, Emily. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, some of it seems familiar to me. Not the wearing white and poisoning the town folk thing, but the, the sort of atmosphere was familiar to me. So I think there is something cultish about both Shambhala and the world of the novel and something summer campish, but it's not, it's a, it's a, it's fine. It's a shorthand. It's just not accurate. <laughs> I, it's funny that you, you, that you get the summer camp um, label as well, because I was, we were just talking about this, that I was like, this is a really great campus novel. And um, Drew, you're like, it's not a campus novel. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I really feel like it is, it has, one of the best things, one of the reasons why I love campus novels is because there's this really weird little tiny world culture and um, timeline that you're on. Like you, you're only there for the amount of time that the summer camp or the school or whatever is it is, is in session. Um, and you also have to learn all the rules really quickly and get into the weird economy and hierarchy as it stands. And all of that is really present here. Um, did you feel like you were writing a campus novel? Well, I definitely also thought a lot about the secret history as I was writing it. Um, and I, I didn't think that actively, but I totally get it. And I too love campus novels. And I did want to create that feeling of like, okay, here we are and here's the world, here's the world, here are the rules, here's who's in charge. And they, I mean, they even go to class, sort of, um, and then they stop doing that. Um, but, you know, I think what makes campus novels really fun is that there are rules to break. Not even, not even with the form of the novel, though that too, but in the lives of the characters, there is this sort of form that they have to work within or break out of. Unlike if you're an adult, you can just do anything, you know? Right. You can just like do whatever you want. If you're a teenager and you are supposed to be in this class or you're a college student, you're supposed to be, you know, participating in this structure then it's something to push against for the characters and for the, the novel itself. So I tried to do that too, give them something to push back on. What's your, okay, here's the question though. What is your second favorite novel? Second favorite campus novel after The Secret History? Uh, Skippy Dies by oh, Murray. Hey, you that's have that locked and loaded, nice. I, I, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, and it's so structurally similar too. The secret history starts, really starts the one. same way. I'm thinking about the like the 
the questions of of reality that get woven into this novel the stories about who believes who the stories about like how we present each other and the stories of what is possible for a human being to achieve and i'm i guess my question is just like what what was the kernel that like interested you in combining all of these stories into this one place where reality in every possible way is just so thin on the ground anything feels possible in the world of this like hermetically sealed uh buddhist camp well i mean the simplest answer is that for me when i went to this jambala center that's kind of how it felt it felt like it felt like the layers between the layer between reality and sort of fantasy it felt like the the barrier was very thin there and it's part it was partially because of my age at the time and i was just like having autonomy for the first time and because it was an enclosed space i was allowed to like run around the woods and you know we did like these bizarre ceremonies where all the kids were sent out into the woods with a swiss army knife and had to cut themselves a branch and then we cured it into a bow and arrow and then we like did the ceremonial first called first shot so there was a lot that was like not that was like it felt sort of like all the fantasy novels that i had read mm -hmm. um so there's some of that where i just feel like and buddhism itself is about working with your mind and unpacking the nature of reality and the the basic basic thesis of buddhism is that reality has a hole in the middle and that nothing really exists in and of itself aside from being this like interconnected web so there was parts of it that grew out of the notion of buddhism itself and my own experiences with it and experiences in that place as far as the sort of culty personal connections you know i always love a cult leader it's true but i wanted i wanted to not just have it be an older male cult leader and a bunch of young impressionable girl impressionable girls i wanted to have the girl a girl be the cult leader actually and i sort of like i let myself have a little bit of both <laughs> i'm only now putting together how much a summer camp is a cult. I mean, like all of the like, <laughs> all of the um, the sleep deprivation that you end up going through is so like how you start. You know, it's how they start with Nexium. That's how they started with all of these. They they start with sleep deprivation. Um, and yeah, you all sing the same songs. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> you all yeah, live it's together all like with like no privacy. <laughs> <laughs> this novel taps into all of those things and um it really feels like you kind of threw it all onto the page like all of your little pet interests or things that have like caught your eye and like sort of magpie like like ah yes i'll keep that for the novel i feel like i felt that for sure and um you know in the same way that it's really hard to go from a an incredible like debut record that you were working on your whole life and then like write another one like are how, how are you feeling about you know the the prospect of another book oh it's the worst <laughs> <laughs> i mean okay uh, so i'll say i once read and i forget where 
that you should never hold anything back. You should never save any tidbits. You should use everything you've got on every project you're working on because more will come. And mm. I don't know if that's true, although it is, it, I think it is. Um, but that's just, I've just lived by that. I just, the other thing I'll say about that is that I cut about 80 pages of asides before I sold the book. Wow. My agent told me to cut a hundred pages. And I was like, here is 80. That's all, <laughs> I, that's all I can have. Um, so there was a lot more of it um, that all still exists for use in the next project or never again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, the thing that is hard with the second book, which I am supposedly working on, um, <laughs> is that now I know how many drafts go in to the finished product and how little of that first beginning to end draft, just how little of the actual like paragraphs made it to the final version. So now I'm here working and I'm like, let me make this paragraph better. And then I'm like, why would I? It's not going to make it. <laughs> so let me go make a sandwich. <laughs> None of this is going to make it. So that's hard to, that's hard to work through. I know too much now. Right. Right. Oh yeah. That speaks for, I mean, I just, I, I feel like I, I did this when I started writing and I know so many people since I've started writing who have started writing and they like finish their first draft and they like, can I send it to you? I want you to read it. And I'm like, what if you <laughs> just trust me on this, rewrite it at least a dozen times. <laughs> this is something that, I mean, as readers, as people who like to write as, um, as people who are like involved in the book culture, I feel like it's like the, the barrier, the bulwark against writing just gets larger and larger. Cause you know, I get, we get sent, I get at least five or six books a week that just arrive on the doorstep. I didn't ask for them. They're just around. And then there's the <laughs> books that we did ask for. And then there's the books that we bought. And it's just like, that's just books that <laughs> already exist. And I'm supposed to add to that. <laughs> why <laughs> i know i feel the same i walk into a bookstore and i'm like they don't need me <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot in here actually Doing fine <laughs> do you find that your work on the other side like as uh an editorial writer first but now also as an editor do you feel like that has changed how you like you know too much but also like you're kind of on the other side of the table sometimes too it's a double-edged sword one of the things that I thought about while I was writing, which I don't know if this was good or bad because I don't, in a vacuum, I don't think you can direct yourself this way, but it was hard for me not to think about, hmm, all these galleys come across my desk all the time. What makes me pick one up? What is it? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's always some element of, for me, you know, I like um, sort of edgy, feminine, some element of magic, literary, and like jewel-like prose, like that's what I want. And I was just thinking like, how, what, you know, when I was, when I was starting and I was thinking about like, what should happen? What should this be? I really, I just, I had that thought about 
what can the description be? And I was like, bad girls at a Buddhist camp. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that will work for me. That would work on me. So let me try it. Because, you know, there are so many books that are like an intricate family story. And many of them are wonderful, but it's not the sort of thing that jumps out to me as an editor. Um, and so I just, I, I sort of had that in the back of my mind. Um, but past that, I mean, the thing that has been the weirdest is having to like make my like ultimate list of all of the books that are on the most list for summer reading. And then I'm like, Emily Tempo. <laughs> you know? And I had to count them. I, you know, I have to write about myself. I had to like, you know, put my own book on stuff. as like, <laughs> this for Lit Hub. And it's like, well, I can't not put it on because. Right. It's like, well, why else are you there? Like, that's part of it. You were like. And like I guess. <laughs> but then it feels so gross. And I'm like, am I promoting myself? Is this, is this like disgusting? And I'm like, but I really do think my book cover is the best book cover of the month. <laughs> I just love it so much. That is a, it is a great, great book cover. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, I um, demanded my way into it in this very annoying way that I had that, the, the cover image as a print on my wall in front of my bed where I write, Queen says bed. Um, and my editor loved it too and commissioned it. So, or wow. bought it. Cool. That's awesome. I have a, I have a question that's not on this path at all. Um, or maybe it is. Do you read while you write? Oh yeah. I can't stop reading. I wish I could. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd have more time. <laughs> I know some people won't read while they're working on something or they won't read anything related to it. Um, and I just, I don't have this kind of self-control. I just continue to read everything possible all the time. Um, and sometimes I can see when I look back at drafts, the influence of a book on the draft and, you know, I just did this with another book that I read where I was, they give me ideas and just yeah. ideas of how to handle stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it becomes this kind of serendipity where you're like, I never would have been able to solve this scene if I hadn't randomly been reading this old book. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I think that really adds to the experience. Plus I, as I said, I can't help it. So even if it was bad, I wouldn't, I would just do it. <laughs> <laughs> You brought a really interesting book, an old book. It's from 1962, um, The Woman in the Dunes by Kobo Abe. Will you tell us uh, why you were thinking about this book and why you put it on our desks? This book is one of my favorites because I'm always very impressed by books that are about one thing. Uh -huh. that just do one thing so well for an entire novel. And this one is about a man who gets stuck in a hole in the sand. 
it gets trapped in a hole in the sand. That's what it's about. It's not really about <laughs> anything else. Uh, that's the whole book. And the, the fact that Abe can make it compelling and exciting for the whole book is, I just think it's really impressive. And it's another, um, in a certain way, it's another obsession book. And I like obsession books. Mm. Um, and it's one of those books where I actually read it for the first time in grad school when my advisor realized I was not going to be writing um, realist fiction. <laughs> and she wanted to give me some stuff that I could use as inspiration because, you know, I was the only one who wanted to write stories about like talking hills and stuff. Um, so, so this was one of those like technically realist, but with something amiss, mm -hmm. just always my favorite category. Oh, I like that. I, me too. Like something amiss. Mm -hmm. Cause it is, it feels in the same way that reading the lightness levitation absolutely feels possible. I'm like, yep. Okay. In this book, it's like, yeah, sure. You, I could someday <laughs> go fall down a hole in a, in the dunes and just get stuck there with some lady in a fallen apart house and have people keep me down. There. And like, it's so weird when you start to think about the, like the more intricate plot of the book, mm. but he, he plays it totally straight the whole time. I kept, um, re imagining and resituating the house itself. Like I felt like I, I still don't quite know what it looks like if I just came across it and someone's like, that's the house for a moment in the dunes. I'd be, <laughs> oh, thank God. Like I, I'm not sure I ever really would have, because it's so strange. It's letting sand in. They have to cover their faces with towels while they sleep. Um, and there, there's this tactile to this book where I it's one of my actually it's one of my favorite would you rathers is just like adding um would you rather something or every time you take a bite of food you always taste a little bit of sand um it's like it's like a good like thing to to compare something to and so like that's what this was like ev there's no escaping it that the sand is a nightmare and it's so sort of funny or tragic, depending on your sense of humor, how much he loves sand going into this. This character thinks sand is just the best. He thinks it's so cool. <laughs> he's always like, there's always like a part where he's like, uh, again, like even while it's happening to him, he's like, but sand, it's pretty neat. <laughs> like One eighth millimeter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep saying that. And it's the same everywhere. And it flows. Did you know? Did you know? <laughs> Um, and I, I sort of love that about him is that he's like trapped by this thing that he's obsessed with. He does love sand, but the world is, will test him. Like, how much do you love sand? Not that much, it turns out. <laughs> it's amazing. I just think it's amazing how quickly the whole becomes the world. Mm -hmm. And you are just, it, that's the whole world. I mean, haha, the whole world. Um, and there, you know, there's one sequence sort of where he's out of it, but mostly you're in the hole. And the other thing that happens is that he gets increasingly 
irreverent. I, I noticed like something about, you know, the narration of his thoughts becomes weirder as mm -hmm. you go on. I mean, much, I guess, as you would expect if you were trapped for months in a hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's done so subtly mm -hmm. that as soon as we're used to the world of the whole, he starts sort of going afield in his brain, um, which I just find to be really masterful and it, you almost don't notice it. I think I didn't notice it even really, or I, I, I didn't remember it from the last time I read it. Um, mm. And I read it again this time and I was like, oh, wow. You know, he's starting to directly address the audience mm -hmm. in a way that he didn't in the, in the first half. And so it's, you just see this unraveling in like all these different directions, which is really cool. It's brutal. I mean, it is like, there's this psychosexual element that we haven't really touched on yet because there is a woman there and um you know it's there's this whole thing like it's better to not wear clothes because clothes rub against where they're tied and so there's this they're just these two strangers nude shoveling um which is also a strange thing i i uh, i had i kept i had a really strange push pull while i was reading this because it was so brutal and you know, we are stuck in our own holes of sand right now um, that are constantly needing shoring up. So I kept having to like put it down because it was just so like, I felt like I was trapped and I already feel trapped. So it's like the walls are coming in. I feel like I should apologize for making <laughs> you read it. No, no, it was, it's, it was good. It's just like, it's, it's, it's a testament to how real um, that this felt while you were while I was reading it, um, and it really it it's it focuses on sand inside their mouths so much, like how it feels and yeah. trying to spit sand and scrape uh, it up your teeth, like <laughs> yeah. There's all these times that I'm just like I can I I feel sandy. I haven't been near a beach in a while, but I I feel like don't this is not a beach read. If I, I've I've always said that like anything can be a beach read go take Anna Karenina to the beach. Like, it's going to be fine. Don't bring this to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've actually put it on an anti-beatreat list. <laughs> nope. That's fine. Unless you have a death wish. That I, some people do, so. Yeah, yeah sure. I uh, heard this analogy the other day about if you if you have a bunch of glasses of water lined up and you put like increase double the amount of salt in each one as you go you will slowly taste the gradation of salt but if you go back even one glass it will taste like pure clean water essentially mm -hmm. and i was thinking about that there were a couple of times where i flipped back in the book as i was reading to sort of like revisit a moment and for me, that was how I was able to see the dissolution of his mind. And I was like, oh, wow. Like this, this thing that felt so super weird when I read it 50 pages ago now seems completely normal and fine <laughs> to the, to the point that the end kind of has, um, I am a sucker for whenever there's like a news clipping in a mm -hmm. book, particularly when it bookends, when it's either at the beginning or at the end. And just the news clipping at the end, which 
we knew about, like Abai tells us the beginning of the book, essentially how this is going to end. And yet it just, it felt like the most brutal smash cut to black in a way that I like, I don't, I don't know how to process it still a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like he just led me each step knowing where I was going. And even still, I was just like, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's Kafkaesque in that way. Yeah. Um, where you're just, cause it's hard as a reader. And even though he gives you almost no room mm -hmm. for hope, there's almost no room. You 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 build it like in an avalanche you know you like dig out your little breathing hole yeah <laughs> avalanche of sand and <laughs> you have it and you think like okay he's gonna there's gotta be something and then and then by the end i mean i guess this is a spoiler but like when he just goes up the ladder and then goes back down to check on his machine his contraption and it's like, I, I figured out what's really important to me and it's this contraption. <laughs> <laughs> Not leaving the hole. It's, yeah, it's, I have to stay here. Well, and that's, I mean, is it a, uh, is it a cautionary tale? Is it like, don't get too excited about your contraptions? <laughs> or is it like, you know, uh, make the best of it because maybe your sand avalanche could be home. Um, I, you know, I, I I feel like there's, I also am sort of, I guess a little still gobsmacked by by it. Um, have you watched the movie? No, I have no. not. I'm like afraid. I know that the movie exists. I don't know what it would be like. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. know how it's not like 14 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like you could basically cover it. Or you could, I mean, it's funny. I was reading it and I was just thinking about Chicken Run for some reason because of the way that he has to escape. And I'm just like, maybe claymation is the way to really adapt this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't sure. know if that's tonally right. I don't, yeah. I, I'm not saying that Chicken Run is an adaptation of Women in the Dunes. <laughs> but I'm not not saying that. <laughs> wow. Nice <laughs> I don't know. I is it just about pointlessness mm. and the pointlessness of society or how we spend our time? Because what I found myself thinking about was all he does, all they do is shovel sand. Is that that much different from what we do? Especially now. <laughs> yeah. Just shoveling galleys. Yeah, shoveling <laughs> galleys. Um, you no, know, cleaning my floor. <laughs> it's, a, I wonder too, it like, and, and Emily, I'm a little bit envious that you've read this book multiple times now. I feel like in some ways the closest analog I can think of is uh, when I read The Stranger for the first time and then when I came back to it. And the first time I read it, I was just like, what is this unrelentingly bleak bullshit? No. <laughs> and I read it in high school and my uh, English teacher was like, read it again and read it again right now. And I read it again and I was like, oh, I love this. I under like, I understand the universe now. 
you know, I, I've seen the word Sisyphusian thrown around a lot about this book. Um, and it makes me think of Camus and the myth of Sisyphus and that idea of finding joy and embracing like the absurdity of your everyday burden, whether it's literally shoveling sand or going about whatever emotions we're going about. And yet, like, this book still feels like a horror novel to me in a way that, like, Camus doesn't, and my daily life hopefully doesn't. <laughs> like, there's there's something... I would put this book on, like, a spooky book list, but I can't quite put my finger on why, other right. than, I guess, maybe, like, the outsized absurdity of... he Now he lives in a hole in the dunes. <laughs> I feel like it's it's to do with the the men who keep him there oh yeah that there's something it's like if he had just fallen down in the hole and there was a woman there shoveling and he couldn't get out and there was no other influence which could have very well been the story mm -hmm. um it could you know he just in the way that he describes it there's no way to get out really um but there so it doesn't you don't really need anyone keeping them there. Although I guess there's some practical concerns, but I guess <laughs> in terms of how do you get food and stuff, cigarettes and sake. Um, <laughs> but it's the men for me that are the creepiest part. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they have, they're capturing, you know, amateur entomologists who walk <laughs> by and putting them into the hole and then making fun of them. Right. And the scene where they sort of like come and they're drunk and they want them to have sex in front of them. Whoa. Ooh. That's, that's horror. That, I, I, horror. that was hard to read. Yeah. And then you can't like him after that. Yeah. Unless you get into some Spike and Buffy like apologist stuff. <laughs> which I admit I'm famous for my Spike apologist. <laughs> <laughs> famous <laughs> my house right in in your world yeah <laughs> well i think that we can sort of you know with a big parental advisory sticker on it i would still like recommend this book to, to if if this conversation has made you think like whoa that that sounds great then like definitely go get that book because like i think i think it's for you um <laughs> Should we move to recommendations? Is that our is that where we're headed? Why not? We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Do we do you want to recommend books, Drew or Emily? I have I have books. Or not books. You can recommend anything. I've been thinking of the... There's a weird progression of like thinking about the lightness and then reading Woman in the Dunes. And then I read uh, David Chang's memoir, Eat a Peach, which had the cover is uh, a little silhouette of Oddjob pushing a giant peach up a hill. Um, and he talks about it in the... He talks about it in the book and how purposefully it's that silhouette and how he really relates to like the Sisyphus mem or the Sisyphus idea. Um, it's such a, it's such a good 
memoir. I am an unabashed Momofuku fan. Uh, Noodle Bar is my favorite restaurant on the planet, and I miss being able to go eat there so much. Uh, but I was, I was admittedly like nervous about this memoir. Um, he's a notoriously like kind of prickly, assholeish public persona, which I guess makes sense. Um, and the first half of the memoir is really he, he's open and he's wry and he talks about his mental health issues and it's also just like a linear tale of I, he was a kid and then he was in college and he didn't know what to do and he started cooking and then he opened Mama. the second half of the book is totally divorced from chronology and he even acknowledges that the first half of the book is stuff that he's like really worked through with his therapist and the second half of the book is stuff that he has not um wow <laughs> it's like it's the the radical honesty of this book the ways in which he is particularly around mental health it's just like i um i have a couple of friends who are bipolar and i certainly suffer from depression and hearing him write about it's one of the best books about mental health that i think i've ever read and i really i just didn't expect it at all. The honesty, the openness, um, the ways in which at the end, he's like, so you might remember that like much earlier on in this book, I was asking myself, like, should I just kill myself? And I never answered that. And he like goes into this big thing about how even still having been on medication, having been in therapy for 20 years, he was like, there are mornings that I wake up and I still feel terrible. And just the honesty of it absolutely made me sob. Um, and I think partially because David Chang is somebody who I've looked to, um, not exactly idolized or anything, but like I've just, I've looked up to him in terms of the way that he changed the world. And to see somebody who every time I've ever encountered him in a public sphere, whether it's an interview or like seeing him in the kitchen, he seems just like so with it and and capable and and like um it just it made me feel so seen i guess hmm. um and it, he's a fucking great great funny writer about food mm. my mouth was just watering the whole time i was reading it um so yeah it it feels like a great i almost didn't pick it up this year uh and then it's my next book club pick nice um, and so I'm very glad I got to it before the end of the year so I can put it on my so I can put it on my end of year list. <laughs> Emily, how about you? Well, as you know, I recommend books for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so um I have so many on my list. Um one that I just read is Avni Doshi's Burnt Sugar. Um, which was sort of the, it was on the Booker shortlist and it was really the dark horse. Um, the bookies had it dead last for who they thought would win. Um, I happen to know <laughs> as I look into these sorts of things. <laughs> um, and it's not out yet in the U.S. So that's probably partially why um, sure. that we haven't, there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. Um, but it is a very, it's almost like a horror story too, um, in the sense that 
it is about a woman whose mother is experiencing early onset dementia maybe uh mm. they think it's not clear uh-huh. um or at least it's not clear how much is the narrator putting that on her and how much it's really happening Ooh. and it's sort of it continues she gets pregnant and has the baby and it's all about um that relationship and then you find out in the course of the novel this backstory about and now that i'm saying it it's uh now that i'm saying it i'm like ah oh, of course i like this book it, you know <laughs> the, it's you find out that the mother had this whole experience at an ashram with this like you know magical guru who she was like a wife to and Whoa. the daughter is doing this project this art project where she's drawing she took a picture of a man and she drew his face from the picture and then she drew the face again from that picture just hundreds of times hmm. until um it had like changed beyond recognition and so it's like obsession ashrams cults of course <laughs> everything i want <laughs> um but the writing is really good and specific and it just I got more and more disturbed and interested in it as I read. As you guys see, I enjoy disturbing shit. So. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I also read, first of all, I was gonna recommend Luster, of course, but I know we already talked to her, so you guys are all over it. But that was the best, not, that was the best debut of the year, I say, oh, as someone who yes. had a debut this year. Like, <laughs> I'm aware, I love that book. It was so everything I wanted. Um, and then the other book that I loved this year was Anita Bruckner's Look at Me, which is an old book. Ooh. I thought I would recommend an old book in addition to the new books. Um, that's the book that I meant when I said, you know, that I, that's the book that I had in mind when I was saying, I can be writing and I'm reading something and it shows me how to do something. I was trying to write like romantic interest and it was coming out super corny. And I was just like, yeah, like, he's handsome. So <laughs> I'm into it. And <laughs> I was reading this book and just the slow way that she creates that interest and makes it feel real and based on something other than just, these are two young, attractive people that I've put into the same room, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. That she, she sort of like makes them interlock in this really specific way. And I was just like, oh, okay, I got it. I can do, mm -hmm. I can do that with like totally different characters and situations, but it was very, very instructive. Um, in addition to being again, like pleasurable and increasingly weird reading. Mm. <laughs> cool. Nice. I've never read any Bruckner and I keep, this is not the first time that one of her novels has been recommended to me in the last several months. And I feel like I maybe need to get into her. It's time. Yeah. That was my first one, but now I'm, I'm ready to get the rest. Christopher, what do you got? I have two things to recommend. One um, is a Spotify playlist, not made by me, um, but Damn. it's very good. It's called uh, Chill Christmas Beats. 
And um, I love Christmas music as I, I love it a lot. Um, but sometimes it's a little too intrusive, like it's big horns or it's a lot of, I don't know, chorus. And so this is like very minimal um, spare arrangements of Christmas uh, songs. And it's like the perfect thing to be reading next to your Christmas tree um, and having some music on that doesn't actually take away from the book you're reading. So that's one. And two, if you're, if you're looking for a full experience, put on that playlist. And then um, there's this book that I bought b just based off of the, um, the description, which was, um, it's a horror movie meets The Office. Um, and it's called uh, Secret Santa. Uh, the, the log line is the gift that keeps on giving. And um, it's, it's set in 80s horror publishing. And this um, this girl goes in for her interview at this, she's just lost her job at another publishing house. And just, there's like this bottom of the barrel type of um, very fusty uh, publishing house that she's got an interview at. And during her interview, the um, publisher dies in the room with her. And then she is hired by the son that takes over. But she, it's December 15th, and she's promised that she will find the next Stephen King before the end of the year. Um, and so it's, if you like publishing, it's a really fun book. Um, <laughs> it's, it, if you like Stephen King, it's really fun. And it's also just like the chintziest horror movie ever. Um, it's written by the guy who wrote those Obama-Biden mysteries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. So oh, I think it's called Hope Never Dies uh -huh. was, the, was the first one. Um, Andrew Schaefer. I, I just loved reading this book. It was so much fun. Um, it's very silly and it's not serious at all, but it is fantastic, <laughs> you know, reading next to a Christmas tree and listening to Chill Christmas Beats book. Is that Beats with an S or a Z? It's with an S, but it's a mistake on their part. It should okay. be with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas music. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, chiller than that, like cooler beats than, than music. I don't think beats can ever really be with an S. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, oh, and of course, we recommend very highly the Lightness by Emily yes. Campbell. Your novel, it's so, so good. And it's, was, it's on my list for best of the year. And um, I have been recommending it to everybody because I just think it's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's very nice. And thanks for coming should... to talk to us too. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. And people should also go to our website for a list of all the books we recommended. Um, they can go to patreon.com slash smdb if they want to give us money for some reason. Um, and we also really, really appreciate it when you go on iTunes and write a glowing review of our show. It means a lot to us. Uh, don't tell Chris for this. I'm wrapping all of them up individually, <laughs> and I'm going to send them in a box to him so he can open them and read them under the tree this year. Oh, that's beautiful. 
<laughs> Best Christmas ever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll be back very soon. Yes, we will. Um, Emily, thank you not only for this, but for all you do. Yes. At our home of Lit Hub. All right. That's, and that's the end. That's it. We Yay. did it. Woo!